to the podcast for North Decatur Presbyterian Church. We are a PCUSA congregation located in Decatur, Georgia. You can find out more about the church, our service to the community, and our great education programs for children like me and youth and adults at ndpc.org. You can also follow us on Facebook. If you're in the Atlanta area, we hope you'll come join us in person. Okay, that's it. On to this week's scripture and sermon. So during this time of reminding ourselves what it is that we do when we get together to worship, this week we will be thinking about what it is to tell the story, something that we do every week when we gather together. To start this off, I would like to invite you to just think of any story from your life. Just just a picture of your life, a little glimpse a moment in time, a piece of your story. You don't have to share it right now with anyone, but maybe you could share it over lunch today when you talk to your family or friends. Who have you shared that story with? How do you tell the story about your life? Why do you tell stories about what happened in your life? Is it to share the things that make you who you are? to help others have an understanding of how you became the person that you are. Now I'd like you to do something that is just a uniquely cool human thing that we can only humans can do. It's amazing, but I want you to do this for a second. Think about a story from before you were born. Can you do that? Can you remember a story from before you were born? How? Did someone tell it to you? Do you believe that it actually happened the way that they told you? You weren't there to see it, but you know these stories. Will you share those stories with others? Luke's gospel begins with this prologue. He says, I know that this story has been told so many times by so many people. But then Luke thought, but maybe I have some things I could add to this story. Some things that I have learned that happened in the gospel in my life, maybe, Luke thought. Things that he felt would help the story land with his audience. It's possible. But he starts and says, I know this story has been told a lot of times and in a lot of ways. I have a a little story I'll share with you from my life just to kind of give an example. A few weeks ago, my kids and I were in a car accident. Our son Oscar was driving and I was in the passenger seat and our daughter Olivia was in the back seat. And it was raining and I um, I had been on Oscar's case to not follow so closely because of the road conditions. And so he was driving in such a way that would keep me from, you know, complaining. Um, And in other words, he was driving safely. And suddenly, as though I were a biblical prophet, the two cars in front of us swerved out of the road and slammed on their brakes because Oscar was listening to his mother and driving so well, following not too closely the car in front of us, he had time to turn to the left very quickly and brake and not hit the car in front of us. The two cars that were in front of us swerved and then drove on. But the massive four by four pickup truck 
whose mother was not sitting beside her, telling her not to follow too closely, was following too closely, and she rear-ended us hard. And then she was also hit by the car behind her. You know that moment after something like that happens in your life and your brain is sitting there, like you, the first thing you do is you recognize, I'm still alive, that just happened, everyone else in the car is okay, we're all okay, we look at each other in the eyes and see that everyone's okay, nothing's on fire. And that adrenaline, the one that was able to make Oscar step on the brake and swerve at the right time, it starts dissipating from your system just as quickly as it came to your rescue. And you begin, in your mind, rehearsing what happened. You tell yourself the story of what just happened. And this time I was very aware, I was able to feel myself stringing together the events, like scenes from a movie the split second in which a hundred things happened all at once, seeing Oscar turn the wheel, looking in the rear view mirror and seeing this grill of a pickup truck, the sound of crumpling metal and crashing glass. We did what you do after such events. We get out of the car and we check that everyone there, first we ask, are you okay? And then we ask, what happened? After taking account that everyone, thanks be to God, was okay and walked away, uh, we checked um, to see what happened with one another. We asked and put our pieces together. The rain, the garbage in the road, the missing rear window, that third car back there. We each shared our perspective, but nobody had the whole story. We each needed to share our experience of it, of what we heard and felt and saw. And as we told our different pieces of the story, we were able to put together what happened and in what order. When the officer arrived on the scene, he asked each of us to explain what happened. And I, I don't think that the other car's driver started with, well, unfortunately, my mother wasn't here to tell me not to follow too closely. Ultimately, the officer listening to us and putting our stories together decided that the person who was at fault for this accident was whomever it was who had a bag of garbage in the back of their truck that fell to the road. Now you can imagine the insurance companies don't feel like that's a very satisfactory answer to what happened. And so there's this strange thing that's happening right now, which is all the documentation and the accounts of what happened from the eyewitnesses at that event, those stories are being debated by people who weren't even there. And they're taking all the pieces of it and trying to figure out what happened. Someone who was not there and didn't see any of it is going to determine what happened. We, we tell stories. We're hardwired to tell stories. Our brains are shaped in such a way that putting stories together is what they are made to do. The science of language pathways in your brain that solidify your ideas, they inform our behaviors, they are so complex beyond understanding. And it's a thing that is unique to being human. Do you have any idea, like if we put a brain scan on you right now, what is happening inside your brain? Each word of the story I just told is being processed, has already been processed by your brain, even if you're not actually listening to me. 
The story is still in there. You heard the words, and those neural pathways are firing off. We retain parts of stories that those neural pathways have already been set to understand. And it's so cool because even if you had never been in a car accident or seen one on TV, but you had crumpled an aluminum can, then as I told the story and I told about the crumpling metal, you can generalize what that sound sounds like and it's like you've had a similar experience and your brain can comprehend it. I mean, we're amazing how we do this storytelling thing. All this is to say that storytelling is super complex and it's very essential to what we do as people of faith. Luke tells his story, the story of what he knows about Jesus, to share his own ideas and to connect it to an audience that he feels would benefit from this new storytelling. Besides telling a story in a new way and introducing something that has never been heard in that, in that connection before can make your brain light up differently. And Luke has unique perspectives that he brings to the story. So maybe Luke picks up this scroll that our, the Bible nerds among us call Q, right? And they, they pick up uh, a copy of another Jesus story called Mark that has been uh, passed around. But Luke has some things that he has heard or seen that aren't reflected in either one of these documents. And the order wasn't quite what he thought it was. And plus, he got to hear this awesome story that Mark and Q just totally left out that was about Jesus' mother being a virgin and an angel and, and all these amazing things with shepherds being the first to tell the story and the skies being filled with angels. And Luke's thinking, that needs to go in the book. That's good stuff. I don't know whether or not he heard the stuff about the star and the magi, but he decides that what's important is that he writes down this story as he's heard it and make some connections that he's made. So the Gospels are different from each other on purpose. The Bible does this all the time. The story of the Exodus is in the book Exodus in the Bible. So yeah, we can go there and find out what happened in that story. However, the Psalm that Barbara read for us this morning is also the Exodus story. It recounts the whole thing all over again, but this time in a poetic, beautiful song form. And when God gives the instructions to the Israelite people in the desert, uh, the commandments, God sums it all up again, just in case you missed it. We hear this story so many times, and we need to. We need to hear it in thick narrative. We need to hear it in poem and song. We even need to hear it in a quick recap. Our brains need to hear stories differently from different sources. This gets all those neural pathways firing, making connections, discovering discrepancies. That's something your brain is really good at. It can pick out it, the smallest difference in a thing and notice the, the changes that that makes in the whole story. Our brain literally hears things in different ways and connects them to new experiences as we grow and change. So if you put John's Gospel next to Luke's, you'll notice at the beginning of John's Gospels, there are no angels, no virgins, no shepherds. So here's John. 
He's artsy and brooding and kind of emo. He sees connections where people don't usually see connections. And he's got this apocalyptic worldview. And so he's like, I'm going to start the story of Jesus the way that the story story starts. And he decides he's going to use those neural pathways that he already knows exists in his audience's ear. They've already heard that crunching metal sound. They've heard this sound before. And John is about to make this massive connection in their brains, not by relating it to shepherds or virgins, but he's going to catch their ear with a word that will sit in their brain and strike up this whole neural network. He says, in the beginning. And we're like, oh, I've heard this story before. And you expect to hear this story in the beginning when God created. In the beginning, John says, was the word. And then the word grew flesh on its body. And then the word became light and banished the darkness. Not separating dark from light, but banishing the darkness. He's so deep. Gospels coexisting like this in our Bible might be one of my favorite things about the canon. When anyone out there is in need of the stories to fit together neatly in this entirely plausible, this is probably what happens kind of way, I can't, I can't go there. I'm so excited by the fact that we have stories that conflict with each other, that just can't quite fit together. We can't quite figure out what really happened. Many people have chosen to tell these stories and retell the stories from their perspective. And it gives us a richer and broader and deeper, although stressfully inaccurate, depiction of the historical events. So several years ago, the historical Jesus conversations ramped up again. So this is something that has been happening since the 1800s. Scholars have been nerding out on the quest for the historical Jesus. We are in the third phase of that happening. We're kind of at the end, we think, of the third phase of the quest for the historical Jesus. But there are folk who are applying historical critical method to our understanding of who this living, breathing, walking around person of Jesus might have been. What sort of things might have been amended or revised or switched along the way. It's not an easy process trying to figure out what someone was actually like by comparing pieces of crumbling parchment to each other, along with a couple thousand years of dogmatic influence and a canon of authoritative books that can't agree on some simple facts. It's not easy, but it is kind of fun. I mean, I dare say that there are people sitting out here who think that this is a lot of fun to do this kind of work. It's like when you start digging into this stuff, there's this comfortable cynicism, right, that you can like walk around in and explore. Scholars set up criteria for whether different sayings of Jesus were actually uttered by the guy or actions and life events might have actually occurred. And one of my favorite of these criteria is called the criteria of embarrassment. Have you heard of this? So the, the, it goes like this, that... Um, something that has endured that would have initially been humiliating to its original historic context 
is most likely true. So, for example, Jesus was baptized by John. A lot of scholars agree this is a thing that actually happened. The rationale goes that it would be weird or surprising for a community to demote their leader to be subservient to the leader of a similar movement. If John the Baptist community was out there doing a similar thing to the Jesus movement, the Jesus movement wouldn't have come along and made up a story where their leader is baptized by the other movement's leader. And to add to that, there are actually all four of the Gospels that made it in the canon that tell some version of this story. And the fact that the versions don't quite agree but have some similar language, all of these things add to a likelihood that in the actual story of Jesus' life, Jesus was baptized by John. So for some folk, this historical critical method is like a lifesaver. It, a faith saver, even. Being willing to be discriminating when swallowing the Bible. It's like being given permission to pick a bone out of your mouth at the table when things don't quite work. When there's something there that just doesn't quite fit or strikes you as weird, you can analyze that thing and figure out what it could have possibly meant. And for those of us who are trying to figure out whether to cast magi or shepherds or angels or dragons in the nativity play, it like frees it all up because who knows what happened. For others who want to get a picture of what actually historically happened, this quest can become consuming. You vote with pebbles on what should remain in the book and what should be thrown out with the bathwater. Another group out there really needs to hold on to the notion of the hand of God being involved in the quill-to-scroll process of gospel authorship. And it's not okay with some folk that scribal errors might have made it into the King James Version. So John has this artsy version of what went on with Jesus, helping us to look at his actions with apocalyptic and eternal lens. Luke has an inclusive version, helping us to look at some of the same actions with a lens for social justice and radical and embarrassing hospitality. And we have to live with both of those stories. And somewhere deep in there is the story of what actually went down, M maybe. How awesome would it be if we had a gospel of John the Baptist? If the guy hadn't been, you know, taken care of by the ruling class, I'll bet his head would have had a lot to say. Or if we could have some sort of primary source poetry from the Syrophoenician woman. What we're left with, though, is a four dude-written gospels, a stack of Pauline op-eds addressed to people in churches, and some guy's revelatory dream journal. And we get to add to that some super ancient scrolls and have, that have a couple of irreconcilable creation accounts and more than you can imagine about who conquered whom and when, some amazing anti-establishment prophets, and even a little bit of sexy poetry. And then you've got the 66 books of our Bible. I really wanted this story, this sermon, to be about storytelling. I wanted it to say, hey, your story matters, and you need to add your story to what's out there and tell your story again and again.
And then there are these history textbooks. I clicked out of curiosity a couple of weeks ago on something that our governor said, and now I get regular updates on state legislature movements to require public education to provide a balanced account of history in our school books, to share an unbiased history, to tell the story of our history without teaching bias, because annoyingly non-canonical versions of our story keep popping up and spoiling our carefully curated canon of Eurocentric history. So I want you to imagine a non-biased history book. Knowing what we know about language, knowing what we know about the importance of telling stories from multiple perspectives, knowing that the victor usually gets to write the story, how can we ensure that we tell a history that is balanced and unbiased? Because who gets to tell it? The fear is that our children are being indoctrinated into believing critical race theory. The Associated Press says critical race theory seeks to highlight how historical inequities and racism continue to shape the public policy and social conditions today. Republicans saying that it promotes a distorted view of American history that teaches that white people are evil. Our Bible, and theirs for that matter, has a way of dealing with this. It's had a closed canon for a while, and I don't imagine we're going to be adding in anytime soon. But our history is recorded in multiple perspectives, with irreconcilable and sometimes embarrassing facts. We know that things are more true when they're likely to be somewhat embarrassing to the original culture that they were written in. We are listening now to stories that have been marginalized, redacted, edited out, out of the canon, out of the voting booth, and out of the church. So we have this Luke's preamble this morning, but we also have John's humble epilogue. At the end of the Gospel of John, he says, this story I just told you, I just wrote down, is so big. I wrote down my version. I wrote down what I saw, what I understood. But mine is not the only story of this Jesus guy. The person that I loved and knew and wrote about in this story, my story cannot contain him. The world itself can't contain the stories that could be written about Jesus. The world itself isn't big enough for the stories that can be written still. There are so many valuable stories and perspectives that still have not been shared. We hold multiple perspectives and we value and treasure their differences rather than fear them. May the untold stories be told. And as they do, may they rewrite, rewire our minds 
to receive a realer truth, a better picture about what has actually gone down. It'll be messy. It might be embarrassing. But we know, we know for a fact that the God who speaks to us in creation, the God who knows your story, and who knows the story from before you were born, the God who knows the story from after you're gone, is with us, leading and writing the story. Amen.